Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. Now, if you're a regular Kermode on Film listener, you'll know that last week I ran down my list of my 10 favourite films released in the UK in the first half of 2020, from the beginning of January to the end of June. This is something I like to do halfway through the year. I know we're a little bit late, but we kind of got delayed. I did a podcast with uh, Jack Howard ranking Christopher Nolan's movies uh, in, in order, and that was meant to be one podcast. It ended up being three, so it kind of pushed us back a few weeks. But inevitably... You can't have the sweet without the sour, the good without the bad, the light without the dark. So this week I'm running down my top 10 least favourite films released in the UK in the first half of 2020. Now I should begin by saying this, I don't actually take much pleasure in listing the movies that I haven't really enjoyed and frankly during the first half of 2020 there have been so many great movies that I kind of struggled to make a list of the worst films released in the UK in the first half of 2020. So in the sort of in the upper regions of this chart there are some movies they aren't terrible but they're just flawed. However, if you want something really positive and uplifting, bear in mind that I found it quite hard to fill out a top 10 worst movies, but in terms of my best movies, I had 25 contenders that I had to whittle down to the top 10. Now, I also know that this year has been quite difficult because of lockdown and COVID, and many of the films that would have been released in cinemas released straight to streaming services. Usually, when I do these charts, I only include films that were released in the cinemas, but there are a number of titles in both lists that opened here in the UK on streaming services. So, for what it's worth, and I'm sure you'll have your own opinions as well, here are my list of my least favourite films to open in the UK in the first half of 2020. Thank you for listening. So, let's start at number 10 with a perfect example of a film which isn't universally terrible, but just ended up being so disappointing that it made it into my top 10 list. I'm talking about The Turning, the latest adaptation of Turn of the Screw, which of course was famously and brilliantly filmed by Jack Clayton as The Innocents back in 1961. This version was directed by Florian Sigismondi and executive produced by Steven Spielberg. So very good pedigree. It's a film that starts well, middles less well and then completely falls apart in the third act, which is why it made it uh, onto my list. It actually began life, as far as I can tell, I kind of looked this up because the production was clearly troubled. It began life in 2016 as Haunted, directed by Juan Carlos Fresnadillo, who made Intacto and uh, 28 Weeks Later. The plug apparently was pulled by Steven Spielberg on that original production a month before shooting began because a rewrite by uh, Scott Zedburn, Scott Zeburns, 
had changed everything so much that the film had basically become a very different movie to the movie that was originally uh, envisaged. A new draft was written, I think, by Jay Bartlett to be filmed by a new director and a new cast. And the, this new version of the film was in the can by April 2018. It was originally set to open in February 2019, and then it was pulled. And then it kept being put back, and it finally slipped out with very, very little fanfare in the UK in, uh, early in 2020. And I think the reason there was so little fanfare about it was because everybody knew that despite some good ideas and a promising setup and a couple of good performances, it is a total mess. Crucially, and most surprisingly, it's not in the least bit scary. And if you don't believe me, then go back and watch The Innocents. That's a scary film. It's like the difference between the Wolf Rilla version of Village of the Damned and the John Carpenter version of The Village of the Damned. I mean, they're kind of the same story, but one of them is really chilling and scary, and the other is really, really boring. One of them's black and white, understated and creepy as hell. The other is colour overblown and not in the least bit frightening. Also, what The Innocents managed to do was to capture some of the ambiguity of the source. This, however, goes for a kind of fudgy, bifurcated third act, which has two endings... And then no ending at all. It is genuinely a film, which when I watched it in the cinema, I was sitting next to a colleague of mine, uh, Linda Marrick, and the film finished. And I turned and went, is that it? Is that, that's the end? That's genuinely it. So started well, kind of fell apart in the middle and then totally fell off a cliff in the final act. So at number 10 in my list of my least favourite films released in the UK in the first half of 2020, a film that enables me to say The Gentleman's Knot for The Turning. Have you ever been a nanny? This is my first live-in job. Well, I hope you know what you're doing. The children are very special, Kate. <laughs> They're thoroughbreds. Jeez, your friends must love it here. I have no friends. You have no friends? Yep. Well, you have one now. <laughs> Maybe. May I ask how the parents died? Well... <gasps> Miles! Nothing should have to suffer. It's not that simple. I don't go in that part of the house. Why not? Don't want to. Hello? On to number nine, and another film which isn't completely irredeemable, but is, in the end, irredeemably dull. Underwater, the aquatic monster romp that should, quite rightly, have been called Wet Aliens. So closely does it adhere to the template of its outer space predecessor. Now, you may well not have seen this, because as far as I can tell, almost no one did. Kristen Stewart, who I absolutely love, does her very best Sigourney Weaver impression as one of a group of survivors trapped in a deep-sea drilling rig which is besieged by mysterious beasties. Now, the film is directed by William Eubank, who clearly has a striking visual imagination. But the fact of the matter is, that this derivative stodge remains every bit as murky as the dark waters at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. I sat there watching underwater thinking, why isn't this any good? And the answer is, it's wet aliens. On a scale from one to ten, how bad's my rig? Ten. We drilled to the bottom of the ocean and we don't know what came out. Gotta get to the station. How do we even get there? We walk up. 
We're just gonna walk with insufficient oxygen across the bottom of the ocean. You don't know what's out there. Worst idea ever. What was that? Turn your lights off. On to number eight, and let me start with a confession. It's often said that film critics are completely out of touch with what audiences actually want from their movies. And I went to see Bad Boys for Life in a morning screening, I think it was about sort of 10.30 in the morning, in a public cinema where everyone else in the cinema appeared to be enjoying the movie far more than I was. So, in the interest of honesty and balance, let me say that despite the fact that this film is included in my list of the 10 worst films released in the first half of 2020 in the UK, I may be alone in thinking that. The first Bad Boys back in the 90s was a hit. I remember reviewing it when it came out. It was working at Radio 1 at the time. I was kind of quite impressed by its flashy style and its empty air-headed story. The second one was a bit more of a trial. Nobody really wanted a sequel. But a threequel? Well, that's just pushing things too far. There is one joke in Bad Boys for Life, and the joke is this. They're older. Yup. It's every bit as funny as that sounds. Imagine that joke being stretched out for the entirety of the movie. On the plus side, Michael Bay, who directed Bad Boys and Bad Boys 2, doesn't direct Bad Boys for Life. On the downside, Michael Bay does get a cameo. Now, as I said before, I may be alone in this. I actually saw the movie sitting behind a a group of young women who spent the entire film talking, texting, being on their mobile phones, and apparently having a really good time. Now, often... I get very cross with people doing that in cinemas, but frankly, they seem to be enjoying themselves. And since they were enjoying themselves so much more than I was, why on earth would I complain? So, Bad Boys for Life. For some people, it absolutely hit the nail on the head. For me, number eight in my list of my least favourite films released in the UK in the first half of 2020. Hey! Oh, shit. Oh. Come on, man. You can get that buffed out. No, you can get that buffed out. Remember, knock and talk. Yeah, knock, knock. Mighty PD, get down! What the hell happened to knock and talk? Hands behind your head right now. I got this. I'm gonna penetrate this man's soul with my heart. What? Watch and learn. Sir, I realize that you're scared. You know, sometimes fear. How deep you think you got in his soul? I'm done, Mike. I'm a bit tired. Uh oh, here we go again. You want your legacy to be muscle shirts and body counts? So how are we doing so far? Are you generally agreeing with my choices or not? Please do let me know what your choices would be for the worst films that you've seen in the first half of the year. How about my number seven? At number seven, The Gentleman. Guy Ritchie goes back to his dreary, geezery roots with this self-consciously self-referential snooze fest that, in my opinion at least, made Lockstock look like Citizen Kane. Matthew Mahogany is completely miscast as the retiring marijuana kingpin whose Brit-based empire is under threat from a collection of leery stereotypes who are neither convincing nor interesting. Now, on the plus side, the film does feature Hugh Grant, who is clearly having a whale of a time playing a camp, sleazy tabloid investigator. The problem is that the script sounds like it was cooked up by a bunch of drunken Tarantino fans who'd spent far too much time hanging out in one of Guy Ritchie's celebrity London pubs. There is one moment in which they discuss the thrill of 35mm film and various film ratios, which should be tailor-made to make me excited, but I just thought it was boring and unconvincing. As I 
is said. Other people disagree. I know some people who think The Gentleman is actually a fine and upstanding film. I thought it was a load of old pants. And if you smell smoke, it's because there's a fire. So you're going to have to stamp that out quickly. These people are going to clean house, and you are part of that house. In the jungle, the only way a lion survived, not by acting like a king. really warming up now, isn't it? There's only one rule in this jungle. When the lion's hungry, he eats. One of her associates had an accident. So you killed someone? No, it was the gravity that killed him. Do you need those phones? So we're getting near the top five, or rather that should be the bottom five, but hovering just outside the five at number six is The Grudge. Now, anyone as old as me will remember that back around the turn of the century when the J-horror explosion happened, there were several Dewan films which began as straight-to-video movies and then moved into the cinema. In 2004, we had an English-language version directed by the original director, Takashi Shimizu, who also went on to helm the English-language Grudge 2. Then Grudge 3 came along, kind of came and went unnoticed. Nobody really cared. Nobody thought that the series would continue. It had pretty much run its course. It started as a straight-to-video series. It went into cinemas, and it actually ended up going back straight to video now we have this which was described not as a sequel but as a sidequel yes i'll say that again it's not a sequel it's a sidequel now the reason it's managed to make it into my list is firstly because it's directed by nicholas pesh who actually i think is a very talented filmmaker it also stars andrea riseborough and lynn shea both of whom i like very much in the case of nicholas pesh he has made two movies that really really got under my skin firstly he directed eyes of my mother which is this strange black and white nightmarish film that made me think of things like the texas chainsaw massacre and Eraserhead. then he made piercing which is one of the strangest weirdest most brilliantly twisted and bizarre films of recent years so why is this so boring well the simple answer is that despite the inventiveness shown in his previous films when it came to taking on the grudge and making a sidequel yes i'll say it again a sidequel Nicholas Pesh seems to have lost all form of inspiration and just gone back to the old quiet, quiet bang formula with which we'd all become so bored although in this case it's not just quiet, quiet bang it's dark, dark, dark face dark 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 face quiet quiet bang dark face quiet bang face dark face that is literally the whole movie at no point did i jump and no point was i scared at no point was i surprised other than by the fact that nicholas pesh had made a movie quite so boring at number six the grudge a side quote someone was murdered at that house why did you never go into that place Something never felt right about it. Looks like we got another one. Do you think that the body we found is related? Hello? I went to the house. Hello? Police department. I think something followed me home. Mommy? What's going on? What's wrong? 
We need to leave right now. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, so we're into the top five now of my least favourite films released in the first half of 2020. And as I said before, some of these films didn't actually make it into cinemas because of COVID and lockdown. Some of them came straight to streaming services. That might mean that you haven't seen some of them, like The Iron Mask, a.k.a. The Iron Mask, Mystery of the Dragon Seal, a.k.a. Mystery of the Dragon Seal, an 18th century Russo-Chinese romp nominally starring Jason Fleming, Jackie Chan and Arnold Schwarzenegger, alongside fleeting cameo appearances by Charles Dance and Rutger Hauer, the latter in one of his final roles. Now, this isn't flagged up, but the film is actually a sequel to the 2014 film Forbidden Kingdom, which, like its predecessor, had been released around the world under umpteen different titles. The Iron Mask finds Fleming's mapmaker teaming up with the titular Russian Tsar to battle a face-swapping witch who has imprisoned a dragon whose eyelashes make tea... Or, or something like that. I mean, to be honest with you, I had very little idea what was going on, and I actually don't think the scriptwriters had much more of an idea. The most important thing is that the publicity images make it look like this is a film that stars Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jackie Chan, both of whom get producer credits. It doesn't. They are very much secondary characters. In fact, there is just one entertaining punch-up between the two of them, and not a whole lot more. The rest is just this all-over-the-place mishmash of slapstick wire work, comically bad dubbing, incoherent plotting, and shonky CGI land and seascapes. It's also worth noting, although they kind of bury this fact, you have to seek it out, that the film was originally designed to be a 3D spectacular, which kind of explains all those chains being chucked at the cameras and fishes and fairies flying towards the screen. However, film was released here in the UK on streaming services where, as everybody knows, you don't get 3D. Which means that all the pointy pointy cinema gimmicks for pointy pointy 3D fun were absolutely pointless when you watched it in the UK. At number five, The Iron Mask. In 500 years, no one has ever escaped. You're not going anywhere. It's the tower! <laughs> so stupid. On to number four, and at number four, another film that opened here in the UK straight to streaming services, The Host. No, not the Bong Joon-ho creature feature, The Host from 2006, which I absolutely love. 
not the Andrew Nichol Stephanie Meyer sci-fi thriller The Host from 2013 which I actually like a lot more than most people I mean I went to see that in the cinema I kind of enjoyed it although it got terrible reviews not the Miranda Pinnell documentary The Host from 2015 or indeed any of the other many movies called The Host few of which could be quite as unoriginal and uninspiring as this the plot of this new film, The Host, follows a lovelorn, gambling-addicted London banker on a fool's errand to Amsterdam, where he finds himself mixed up with a sinister Chinese drug smuggler, some European femme fatales, and a whole host of international movie clichés. The film opens with this kind of Saul Bass-inspired title sequences, which flags up how much of a debt the film thinks it owes to Hitchcock. The problem is this, never invoke Hitchcock unless, like Brian De Palma, you're going to do a very, very bang-up job of imitating and sometimes equaling Hitchcock for the rest of the movie. No, most of the time, if you remind people that Alfred Hitchcock made great movies, all they will do is spend the rest of the movie wondering why they're not watching a Hitchcock movie rather than watching whichever piece of rubbish you have used to pay homage to Hitchcock. The plot may be labyrinthine, but the only real mystery with the host is what on earth Derek Jacobi is doing, agreeing to provide a ripe wraparound cameo, and, more importantly, why it's been left to a member of McFly, take a bow, Dougie Pointer, to save the day. What have you done? That family is the most powerful family in the city. Stand well away from the house. We were wondering if you had a room we could rent for a few nights. This is your room. Have a lovely stay. Father. We might have a problem. Beware, even those who look innocent can be dangerous. No, no, no. We can choose any room, even on the wrong path. Sacrifices will be made. Okay, so we're into the top three, and this is where things start to get really bad in my list of my least favourite films released in the UK in the first half of 2020. At number three, Woody Allen's A Rainy Day in New York. Timothée Chalamet, like so many of his colleagues, has apologised for appearing in this Woody Allen feature. What he hasn't done is apologised for being quite so terrible in it, and frankly, that's the apology that I want. Timothée Chalamet plays the improbably named Gatsby Wells. No, that really is his name, Gatsby Wells, a student from Yardley College who accompanies his girlfriend Ashley, played by Elle Fanning, on a weekend trip to his home city of New York. Now, Ashley is there to interview a famous film director, while Gatsby, that really is his name in the film, is looking forward to showing Ashley the sights. But the two get separated by toe-curling plot contrivances and each are left to follow their own path through an increasingly farcical string of misadventures. A Rainy Day in New York was shot in 2017 and completed in 2018. It was first financed and then dropped by Amazon against the backdrop of negative publicity about what Alan called, quote, a 25-year-old baseless allegation of sexual abuse. Nevertheless, several key cast members subsequently expressed regret for having appeared in Alan's film and indeed donated their salaries to charity. But that's not why the film appears at number three in my list of the worst films released in the first half of 2020. No, whatever your opinion of the background scandal or lack of it, the problem with A Rainy Day in New York is that it is simply not very good. In fact, it's very, very, very bad. Shoddily written, shonkily played, lacking any of the charm, even of such incidental late-period Allen entries as 2014's pleasantly forgettable Magic in the Moonlight. Nothing about A Rainy Day in New York rings true. Not the characters, not the situations, not the plot twists. Even the rain looks fake. The weirdest thing is that quite early on in A Rainy Day in New York... 
there is a movie within a movie. Our central character stumbles onto the set of a movie. And the movie set in the movie looks like it was dreamed up by somebody who has never been on a movie set in their entire life, which is astonishing since this is something like Woody Allen's 48th feature. As always, the film is crammed with big names from Selena Gomez and Jude Law to Liv Schreiber, Diego Luna and Rebecca Hall. It's a reminder not only that stars once lined up to appear in Allen's movies, but more importantly, that a talented cast cannot save a frankly lacklustre film. The title may invoke the romance of the rain, but take it from me, the film itself is just poor. And believe me, that's a better joke than any of the jokes in A Rainy Day in New York. Thank you, Timothée Chalamet. She's apparently onto a very big story. She takes her job very seriously. I shouldn't imbibe so copiously. I become passionate, aggressive, <laughs> absurd. I just... <laughs> hey, Ashley. I can't talk to you right now. What could possibly be so secretive about that? Unless there's some funny business going on. Unless there's some funny business going on. This is real life. Real life is fine for people who can't do any better. Be one tiny little lousy hour interview. Instead, we lost the whole weekend. I'm on to a real story here. Take off your wing to it. I can't. I have no clothes underneath. Which brings us to the top two. And at number two in my list of my least favourite films of the year so far, or at least up until the end of June, Blumhouse's Fantasy Island, aka Fantasy Island, aka. Why on earth did anyone think we wanted a big screen reboot of Fantasy Island? I mean, honestly, in the list of things that I wanted to see in the cinema this year, a prequel to the ABC TV series reimagined as a Blumhouse label horror comedy mishmash was so far down the bottom of the list. So Michael Pena is the guy who runs the mysterious island where fantasies come true, but dreams can become nightmares. Be careful what you wish for. Now, it's easy to see why they made the movie. The film cost $7 million, and the last time I looked, it had taken around 41 So, amazingly, it was financially worth it. And good, I'm glad it washed its face, because on every other level, it is an absolute disaster. A tonal mishmash of comedy, horror, and suspense that is neither funny, nor horrific, nor suspenseful. I mean, for a start... The plot doesn't make any sense at all. And incidentally, I say that as somebody who watched the TV series. More importantly, it's not just that it doesn't make sense, it's that it doesn't make interest. I couldn't tell whether I was supposed to laugh or scream, but I'm pretty certain that I wasn't supposed to snore. I never believed in, cared about, or even remember the names of any of the characters in this ill-judged TV reboot. Like I say, it would be lovely to be able to tell you that the actors chew the scenery. For most of the film, the actors look like they are the scenery. It's like the whole film is one limp setup for a terrible joke about a tattoo. At number two, Blumhouse Fantasy Island. That is a really good hologram. There is only one fantasy per guest. And you must see your fantasy through. It brought her back to life. No matter what. Oh my god. It's really her. Work. This is not what I meant. What the hell is this place? People die here. The island's twisting what we asked for. We weren't brought here to have our own fantasies. I want it. I got it. I want it. We were brought here to be a part of something else. I got it. I want it. I'm your friend. 
was trying to hear you say that. And so we've arrived at the number one spot, my least favourite film released in the first six months of 2020 in the UK. And I have to say, it is a country mile ahead of everything else behind it. The worst film released so far this year is, of course, Doolittle. Novelist Hugh Lofting's Dr. Doolittle famously came to the screen as Rex Harrison in 1967, and that film flopped despite a massive Oscar campaign. It was the wrong movie at the wrong time. And since then, there have been animated TV series, stage adaptations, a new series of movies starting in the late 90s, the first two starring Eddie Murphy, another DTV animation featuring the voice of, amongst others, Tim Curry. So several versions of Doolittle on various screens. This new version features Robert Downey Jr. as Doolittle, a recluse since his beloved wife sailed off on an adventure and never came back. Early on in the film, he's called to the bedside of the young Queen Victoria, who is gravely ill. To save her, he must go on a voyage to find the fruit of a magical tree on the island for which his wife was searching. So it's an all-star cast. Antonio Banderas as Rasuli, the Pirate King. Michael Sheen as Sir Blair Mudfly, the sinister creep who's sent to follow Doolittle to ensure that he doesn't succeed. Emma Thompson's the voice from McCaw. Rami Malek as a fearful gorilla. Tom Holland as a dog. Uh, Kamal Nanjiani as an ostrich. Marianne Cotillard as a fox. Anybody who is anybody is in Doolittle, which cost $175 million and so far has failed to recoup a significant amount of that. Worth noting, incidentally, you can say what you like about the Eddie Murphy movies both of them made money this new version is directed by Stephen Gagan who wrote Rules of Engagement the William Friedkin film he won an Oscar for writing Traffic he was nominated for an Oscar for writing Syriana which he also directed not many awards however for Doolittle the film had a very troubled production it was shot in 2018 which resulted in a version which executives deemed to be officially not funny so they roped in loads of people to attempt to make it better make it funnier different directors different writers in 2019 there were 21 days of reshoots following the poor test screenings and then they arrived at the new version the funnier version now frankly if this is the funnier version god only knows what the unfunny version was like comedy highlights of doolittle include robert downey jr pulling a suit of armor out of the arse of a dragon followed by a bout of explosive reptile flatulence the strange thing about the film however is robert downey jr's accent now Watching the movie, it looks like every single line of dialogue delivered by Robert Downey Jr. has been post-synced, has been dubbed, which means that there was a version before this that wasn't as good as the version that we now hear, which is amazing because the version that we now hear sounds like somebody gargling the English language and doing what Robert Downey Jr. considers to be a Welsh accent, indeed the worst Welsh accent in history. This is made all the more alarming by the fact that in many scenes he is on screen with Michael Sheen, who is Welsh, doing a perfect cut-glass British accent while Robert Downey Jr. tramples all over his national language. Downey said that he based his character on a Welsh neo-pagan physician called William Price. Okay, still doesn't sound like a Welsh accent. The tagline for the 1967 version of Dr. Doolittle was you've never seen anything like it in your life and the tagline for the new version should have been you've never heard anything like it nor would you hope to again. Next to this, Russell Crowe's Robin Hood deserves to win an honorary degree from Cambridge University's Department of Convincing Accents. The central performance is so terrible that all the other terrible things, the terrible script, the terrible visuals, the terrible plot, the terrible gags, start to look less terrible by comparison. 
A few months after Doolittle came out, I was having a conversation with Michael Sheen as part of an interview about something else, and I asked Michael Sheen what it was like making the film. I said, particularly considering Robert Downey's accent. Michael Sheen said this. He said, yes. He asked me everything about the Welsh accent, except the most important question, which was, should I be doing a Welsh accent? To which the answer is no. Do little, don't little. Oh, what a wonderful world. Nobody told me there'd be a dragon! I'm too beautiful to die. So there you have it, my rundown of my 10 least favourite films released in the first six months of 2020 in the UK. At number 10, The Turning. At number 9, Underwater, aka Wet Aliens. At number 8, Bad Boys for Life, just not for me. At number 7, The Gentleman, get back in your pub, Richie. At number 6, The Grudge. At number 5, The Iron Mask, Mystery of the Dragon Seal. At number 4, The Host, no, not that one, or that one, or indeed that one. At number three, A Rainy Day in New York, Timothy Chalamet. At number two, Blumhouse's Fantasy Island, Watch That Dream Become a Nightmare. And at number one, my least favourite film of 2020, Doolittle. Now, I'm sure you have your own list. There must be titles that I've included that you really liked or titles that I've left out that you really didn't like. Why not let me know? You can get in touch through Twitter. It's at Kermode Movie or at Kermode on Film. Also, why not visit our Patreon page? There's loads and loads of extras, including exclusive video that you can't see anywhere else. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you've enjoyed it, remember to subscribe, tell your friends, keep watching the skies. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.